0: hey everyone welcome to the influencer economy this is ryan williams so glad you're joining us on this episode thank you for downloading or streaming episode 15 with sloan davidson sloan davidson is the real deal she's the founder of the cosmopolitan and she chatted with me about her journey as a social entrepreneur and her giving philosophy for life She's the author of The Giving Manifesto, and she helped pioneer a new category, which is cause-filled living, and that's giving into the social impact world. Uh, We talked a lot about her Cosmopolitan newsletter and how she got started with her consulting business and how she hopes to help people create more meaningful lives and relationships. Cosmopolitan.com is the website, so definitely sign up for this after the podcast. And one of the things I really remember from this interview was... But she said, and I quote, the things that I have done and not gotten paid for in my life have by far impacted me the most and made me feel alive. They brought me the greatest connections and opportunities. And this is a much larger theme that I'm noticing with many guests on the influencer economy, is they do things that they're passionate about, they're creating hobbies, they're working more than their nine to five job to create something of value for the world. And whether it's Sloan with the Cosmopolitan, the blog that became an email newsletter or me with the podcast, there's this new class of entrepreneur that is doing work for free and that turns into a more impactful career, potentially more money, and you get more meaning with what you're doing because you're giving something to the world that you really enjoy. So I'm really excited about this episode. Sloan has an amazing background. She's helped raise over $1.5 million for charities, nonprofits and social impact Campaigns, including raising money for the Gulf Coast region after the oil spill from BP a few years back. We talk about her blogging for LAS back in the day uh, when she first started her career online. And finally, uh, we talk a lot about her becoming a better marketer and how everything she does really helps her digital perspective in the, in the giving space. So, really happy that Sloan was on the show, very proud of this episode. And Sloan wrote The Giving Manifesto, which she is giving out to listeners of the show. Uh, the Giving Manifesto is a giving back document really to help you figure out what's, what moves you, what impacts you, and really defines you uh, to create more meaning in your life. So go to uh, galore.cc and download a copy of it for free if you type in Influencer for the Influencer Economy listener. Um, so thanks again to Sloan. Once again, we're at influencereconomy.com. You can also find me at, on Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Please, if you like the show, uh, subscribe on iTunes. Without further ado, Sloane Davidson. Sloane, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm very good. Coming in from New York City, what, what part of New York?
1: Downtown. It's, everything's walkable.
0: I lived on 3rd Avenue and 11th when I was in uh, college for a summer. There was this, all these bars that aren't even there anymore. It's, it's a lot more trendy now like right off union square i guess is, is that the is there a big startup community right around there
1: um, the startup community is in a few different spots. One one neighborhood where there's definitely a lot, um, partially because of real estate prices, and there was good spaces available in the Flatiron. So just if you went to the north side of Union Square, um, you know, up between maybe like 17th and 23rd, there's a number of them. Um, but there's a couple different pockets. Like Dumbo has a lot of great startups. The Financial District, uh, surprisingly, has quite a few. Again, real estate people could get good spaces. Um, and then there's tons of co-working, you know, it's not like other cities where someone might have a great, uh, you know, an extra bedroom that they can use as a home office or people all go over to somebody's house. Um, so, you know, WeWork I think has, I mean, maybe five, seven locations alone. Um, so there's lots of places.
0: That's cool. Uh, I'd love for you to tell the audience really like in general, what's driving your career and you you're giving manifesto as well as the cosmopolitan. Cause I feel like. These are all great resources in your in your uh your passion for building community.
1: Yeah, so um I I started blogging in LA where I was for 5 years in 2005 for LAist, which is oh, yeah, um, I love this. you know big, Yeah, I totally. Used to, so, I used to read the DCist
0: um, around that time.
1: Yeah. I still read Gothamist now that I'm in New York all the time. Um, and it was a great, I mean, let alone that it taught me about blogging. I mean, this is like 2004 five. I clearly as day, remember I was working, um, and my boss was the editor at the time at Buna Murray Productions. And uh, he was running LAist, part-time side gig, of course. And, and the, I was like, well, is, what's, a, the, what's is, a blog?
0: Is that the reality TV company?
1: <laughs> yes. You that's know the, how everyone in LA either, at least 10, 10 years ago, either worked at E. Yeah. Every, everyone either was a PA at E or they worked at Buna Murray. Yeah. Like that was it.
0: They were working with Eric from The Grind. Or, yes. <laughs> or not.
1: Totally. <laughs> I was on my, my first LA job as I was on... Um, I was the web so they basically were like, You're gonna be a PA and you're gonna drive around and deliver stuff, a production assistant for yeah. those listening who don't know what a PA is. And then I was like kind of good at the web. I was kind of good at tech, and they were like, or you could be the web PA. And I was like, I'll do that. Dude, sign so me I up. was on I was on real world San Diego. Oh no way. <laughs> and I would slice the content to make short video clips.
0: That's a much better I, I used to PA when I lived in DC and I worked out my one of my first jobs is on the wire. And I commuted to Baltimore. It's an amazing show to watch, but a terrible show to be a a PA for (laughs) because you work like 18 hour days in the freezing cold with people. Did you watch the show? Of
1: course, but not while it was live. I watched it after like in a binge watch. That was my first
0: show. I really binged actually when Netflix was like early on and I worked on it like I met the real bubbles and like David Simon was there every day. Like it was very hands on and a lot of the people that everyone wanted to be an extra Like one guy, I wanted to kill me. I mean, it was just like a nightmare job. Like he threatened me. I was on his corner. He was trying to do business to sell his drugs. And here I am in a North Face jacket with like with a hat that I looked like a toboggan, you know, a toboggan ski hat with stripes. And I'm telling him he can't go on the corner. And he's like, I will come get you later if you're here in 12 hours. Um, So for anyone who hasn't PA'd, it's like a very humbling life experience. So the web move is a great. T- technique. I, I, I applaud you for that.
1: <laughs> it was, you know, it was really interesting. So, um, but anyway, I was, I was doing that on the side and I was at the time working in nonprofits doing straight fundraising. There wasn't like digital communications or digital fundraising yet, to be honest, it's 2005, six, seven. Hmm. And I was working at a nonprofit and I was um, blogging for LAS on the side. Are you getting um, paid
0: much for the LAS job?
1: No, I got paid zero, but I got paid in um, tickets and access. Okay. So, you know, back in the day, like you didn't, you didn't have to, I mean, you took a couple of pictures at a show up close, but like with a real camera, because I think we all still had, I mean, making it sound like I'm like 50 years old, but you didn't have iPhones yet. Right. You had like, um,
0: disposable cameras were big,
1: a Blackberry. I think I had a blackberry diver. I probably had a BlackBerry.
0: Or a Trio. That was one of my first
1: smartphones. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't flip phone. This is past flip phone. But yeah, you like took a real, yeah, you took like a Sony or a Canon or whatever and you took shots at the front of a, I was really into music. Like I went to like four four nights of live music a night in LA.
0: And so you get free tickets um, and
1: and I got plus ones. I made I like I would like be great at asking someone to like go on a date with me to see a show or a, a new friend that I had, like a new girlfriend, and be like, oh come see this. So that was great and I loved it. And I was doing this nonprofit thing. So I was very into like community, both the LAS community learning about blogging online and then this giving back piece at nonprofits. So I was feeling fulfilled and then wouldn't you know, my space came out. Um, this isn't helping my seeming really modern, but anyway, so my f-
0: this new fangled thing called friendster had really gotten popular.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. I was never really, I was like, yeah, I was never really a friend stirrer, But MySpace came out. It was based in L.A., which you know. Yeah. And yeah. so I, and at the time, working in nonprofits in L.A., even to this day, it's a lot of entertainment, a lot of celebrity influence. You honor them at your galas. And so I was working at a nonprofit called Starlight, Starlight Children's Foundation. Steven Spielberg is one of the founding members and is on the board. So as you can imagine, they had years and years of digital content that was sitting in the equivalent of, like, a hall closet. Mm-hmm. You know, on my, honoring Michael J. Fox, honoring Cindy Crawford. And it's just sitting. And I was like, oh, we have to do something with this. Like you could probably raise money online without having to send a direct mail request, without spending all that money on direct mail and using paper and postage. Like we could probably do some pretty pretty cool like e-fundraising. So I took a bunch of that content. I helped them digitize it and get it online and launched their MySpace
0: page. Nice. I, I actually just moved to LA right around that time. And one of my first gigs at a startup was, like, adding MySpace friends to this Dr. Slasher profile for this, like, (laughs) terrible DVD, like, straight-to-DVD movie. Um, But, yeah, MySpace, the good old days.
1: The good old days. Anyway, I was, you know, a couple – a lot of my friends were at nonprofits, and Uh they were like, can you help us do that? That seems really interesting. So I ended up leaving the nonprofit I was at and consulting – that was, like, my first stint – consulting, working with other nonprofits either on, like, how to – use early digital um and it was through that that i got connected to a a startup that was focusing on social good and um and joined and it was a wild ride i mean it was in la pre using the moniker of silicon beach it was 2008 um And it was a great opportunity to meet a lot of different nonprofits. And, we, you know, talking about building a platform for causes a little early, you know, because now there's CrowdRise and there's, I mean, there's a lot of other uh, platforms that are out there. GoFundMe and obviously, like, even Indiegogo's. there's a lot of places to bring awareness to different causes. Um, But anyway, like we had talked about, a startup is like a marriage. And sometimes you lose your sense of... um, setting boundaries. I think I was really passionate about what we were building and I was willing to burn myself out. I was willing to work late, late into the night, work weekends, let all my other relationships suffer. Um, Startups also can be like family because you're with each other all the time. Working on the product, working on biz dev, working on marketing, working on your launch plan. I mean, it's like a hundred things to do What's all the go time. go-to-market
0: strategy? And, oh, let's yeah, work on that.
1: Yeah. Let's work on that. Let's yeah. work on that while we're doing a hundred other things. Till 10 p.m., and- 11 p.m and it was also, um, it was 2008. So Obama was running for president the first time I was really, I was really in, involved in that. So I was doing a bunch of things, just supporting the campaign locally. I, I was actually throwing a huge election night party for like 600 people at the Edison downtown LA. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was working a lot. I was working too much. And, um, then, of course, in the fall of 08, as a lot of people remember, the economy completely collapsed. It was a disaster. The startup laid off a bunch of people, including me, and I was shocked. I was, you know, was so taken aback. Um, I was a little naive, I think, to the startup world. I was a little naive to the fact that, like, in a startup, you can have a job one day and not have it the next day. That there's no sense of, oh, we're going to give you two weeks notice. Yeah, or, there's no you know, guarantees. Anything. Yeah, there's no guarantees. And it was really, it was hard. It was really hard because I felt like I was, you know, getting a divorce, you know, or I felt like this thing that I had put so much into. And you was spend gone. so
0: much time with these people and suddenly they're out of your life. Completely. And even people you um, don't like, you miss.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, I did.
0: I was like, that guy was so annoying, but he was always there. You know, it's like your brother that you're like, gets on your nerves. Yeah. And I know. I actually randomly missed people that I didn't like. But anyway.
1: Um, and so I decided that I, I was going to go volunteer and travel abroad for a little bit. I was going to take a break. I was gonna take a little sabbatical. I was gonna do a little eat, pray, love version of my life. I was very financially responsible. I've all I've had built up a nice little nest egg, savings, whatever, and um, you know, completely self reliant since forever. So um, I that's what I was gonna do. But I up and left LA within three weeks. Like it was crazy. I, I this this horrible thing happened to me. I took a couple interviews. I'll never forget. Like the couple of days after, people called me, and I went and I was like. Total, did was not absorbing information. I just was like t- not in a place. And I bought a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires and was like, I will figure this out later. <laughs> I gave up my apartment. I sold most of my things. I put a little bit in storage. I had a boyfriend at the time I broke up with, like the whole thing. I was just like, I am ta- I need a break. Like I'm, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. And that's when I launched my blog, The Cosmopolitan. Um, and I had always collected, I still do URLs. I always sort of have, say that I have as many URLs else is i have shoes uh-huh. <laughs> so when i come up with a good name i just kind of buy it and i sit on it and oh, you buy um, domains
0: like you buy shoes yeah
1: i buy domains i do That's i hysterical. do um or like i drink and i buy domains
0: <laughs> you know what it's safe you're not gonna get hurt it's not dangerous it's not cold
1: Um, so I have some really funny ones from doing that, but anyway, so I, I had this idea for a blog that I would just sort of keep up with people while I was traveling. What's like
0: your, what's your, what's a funny domain?
1: Um, (laughs) I have this great idea for an Asian pop band and I'm hoping one day that some Japanese girls form this band and they buy and they like basically want to buy this domain for me. It's adorable persuasion.
0: Oh Yeah. Dude, I totally would buy that uh, iTunes album.
1: <laughs> Does that sound like a great, you know, like, Hirojuku band? Yes,
0: that's, that's the word I was looking for, Hirojuku. I think, you know, Gwen Stefani um, would totally have, endorse that band.
1: I totally agree with you. I have another that came out when a bunch of, you know, like the Yale, Harvard, Brown, like kind of like, um, uh, like Waspy boy bands came out. I have one that's called Shattered Khakis. Oh, I just nice. think it'd be a really great band. Maybe I buy band um, domains when I'm drinking. I Maybe think Shattered
0: Khakis think. could probably open up for Vampire Weekend.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah,
0: they totally could, and appeal to our intellectual indie rock band sides.
1: <laughs> they'd be a little, they'd be a little emo, you know, like yes. little Chicago, like Chicago emo.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but with the Ivy League education, that's really important.
1: Northwestern, they do Northwestern, out
0: of right? Evansville. Um, <laughs> that, okay, those are good domains. So let's drive traffic to the to the sites. If you yeah. uh, if you're listening don't to exist. this, they don't exist. Yeah, oh, totally I know.
1: I, now I'm going to have to go before this airs. I'm going to have to go put up landing pages.
0: I'll put these in the description and I'll link to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no.
1: So anyway, I launched a cosmopolitan. I was writing about my travels really I mean it was very like i'm in argentina i'm in colombia like i'm here i'm in you know um, I'm in New Orleans volunteering for a couple of months i'm in Southeast Asia um, on a Kiva fellowship that I did for a few months and it was just really about like my travels and very honest and real and things that I found and things I thought were interesting and when I sort of reemerged back into I've run out of money and I've had a good time traveling and volunteering. Um, I ended up landing in new Orleans and I decided to keep blogging at the cosmopolitan cause people were still reading what I was writing and I was still working with quite a number of nonprofits in new Orleans and I wanted to talk about them. Um, and so in that time, like between 2009 and 10 to, you know, even just this year I was, you know, writing, Sometimes about things I found interesting in the nonprofit space, sometimes personal stories or things that had happened to me, you know, sort of like a lifestyle stream. Um, and I would pick it up and I would put it down. It's like a podcast, you know, it's not meant to be a money maker, um, though it would be nice, but it's just always like a calling card,
0: and an outlet. And actually, this I have a question about your time at LAIST because, like, you write and you don't really get paid, it's passion but like do you think that like how important was writing at LAist and how important is blogging at the Cosmopolitan for you in general out, outside of just keeping you grounded but for expanding your career and like thinking it out loud
1: the things that i've done that i haven't gotten paid for have by far been the ones that have impacted me the most made me feel like i've come alive brought me the greatest connections and opportunities And sometimes those opportunities have been paid. I've gotten jobs. I've gotten, you know, like a lot of different things that have happened because of what I've done on the side. But even more than that.
0: And so it's more of it's So it's an email list. And how can people sign up for it?
1: So um, you can go on to the Cosmopolitan and I have a, a sign up. Um, right there on the homepage, and um, I do a weekly essay. That's that's one of the main um, pieces that I'm doing right now, and the essay is really around. It's motivational. It's um you know it's it's about I describe it how to be a better person, how to be the best person you can be, how to think about your friendships and your life in a different way. Um, and, and get your head shaking. Like when I get emails back from people every week, they say, I hadn't thought about it this way. That makes so much sense. Or how did you get inside my head? This is exactly what what I've been thinking about recently. And so, you know, they're, they're personal, they're in depth, um, and they're really meant to move you. And so those newsletters are a big piece. I still do blog. I still write separate blogs, uh, blog posts a couple times a week around things that interest me. Um, I'm fairly active on social media, but that email newsletter is, I think, where the best content is right now.
0: And what's an example of a recent post that you were most proud of or that you felt like connected with people?
1: I just wrote a post called planting versus weeding. Yeah. And I've been spending a lot of time the last few months on a friend's farm in upstate New York. Um, I haven't really done a lot of planting, uh, I'm sorry, gardening or farming before. And one of the things that was most interesting to me is that you think the planting is going to be the really hard part. Um, but the really hard part on organic farms is the weeding because you can't just spray a fertilizer and call it a day. You're always out there weeding. And I didn't really know this, but the weeds are really, really strong and they will overpower even a beautiful, healthy vegetable patch if you don't pull them out. And I had this revelation that that's what social media is And that's what our friendships are like, right? So we're constantly planting, we're going to events, we're meeting people, we're adding them on fill in the blank, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram. Snapchat, but we're not necessarily weeding them out. We're not weeding out the people who we've known for a long time, but we don't really connect with anymore on a personal level. We're not necessarily weeding out the oversharers. We're not weeding out the people who we don't want to see. There's all these people in front of us all the time, but they're not the ones we want to see. And I just wrote about, you know, how it's hard to be intentional, but how important it is. Um, and I actually read a bunch of other posts around effective weeding, strategies actually waiting in the ground. And so I used them as metaphors for how to build better friendships.
0: That's great. That's cool. I love it. I think, uh, I, I remember when you emailed that one out and then you had, I think, is that you usually go back and you like say something like, Oh, this one got, it resonated or you, you ask people for feedback. And so how, how is yes. it? How many people like, does your, re- does your email newsletter reach a lot of people that you've never met? And how what is it like hearing from people that you're like connecting with that if you have no physical relationship with?
1: It's interesting. Yes. Yeah, so my Cuz it makes I, me so I, I, happy
0: when someone like shares my podcast that I've never met before. Totally. And it's like this connection that you can only get by producing and trying to give people something that you find valuable. Yeah. Um so how is it for you when like or just in general like growing the newsletter like was there a moment you felt like you reached this point where you're like, okay, wow, I have like a lot of people subscribed to this or I'm getting the right people that are subscribed to this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a couple thousand people now and I'd love to have 10, um, you know, or a hundred, but I mean, a couple thousand people that's, you know, I just really started in earnest in January um, with the email part, I've had the website, like I said, for the last couple of years, but I hadn't had um, an e- a regular email newsletter. So that's been great. And I actually just did a post last week um, where I, ta- I specifically talked about the things I've learned over the last six months. And I share my open rates. I share my best times of day that I posted. Awesome. I sh I share all that stuff around like – what have I actually learned and why is it important? Um, and how it's making me a better digital marketer. It's making me better for my clients. It's just, you know, it's like you with podcasting, you've learned all these things. I've learned a whole ton of things about best practices for email newsletters. So every week I do get a number of people that write me, um, maybe, uh, you know, 10 to 20. So again, not a huge, but you know, a nice group. And, um, and it's really interesting. I would say, Half of them I don't know in person and people write, really thoughtful notes. And a couple of times as, as my notes have been very personal, um, they've written very personal notes back and I've gotten some where it's like, wow, I mean, it's, I almost feel like a therapist. Like yeah. we have this amazing dialogue around this really authentic content. Um, and I, I, you know, I think a lot of content out there it's, it's bite-sized because that's what people want. I get it. The buzzworthy, the, you know, Buzzfeed upworthys um, I think
0: buzzworthy just, we should call them both that.
1: Uh, I think this, we, there should be a spoof I'm, account. The, called I, Buzzworthy.
0: I imagine the uh, domains already <laughs> taken, so you can't buy it after a glass of wine, but I think we should just call them all buzzworthy.
1: <laughs> buzzworthy. Um, <laughs> I like that so much. So, uh, you know, but people, and I love it. I mean, I love it when people email me or when people reach out, I love it even more when I get to meet them in person. Yeah. There's a ton, there's a ton of people that I knew online first that I've met in person and have become some of my good friends.
0: So what advice do you have for people that are looking to do something like they're passionate about in their spare time, creating a blog or something that they're into? Like, as far as like, how did, how did you pick the focus of what you wanted to write about and really how, how, I mean, you've been doing this for years. So it's a long game. Like it's, you didn't set out just to reach thousands of people initially but you've had the blog itself and you've just been creating, like what advice do you have for people that are trying to give something like that to the world and, and how to grow a a base? That was a lot of questions. I know. I think probably like six questions. That was
1: a lot of questions. So pick pick one. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's something a lot of people say, but done is better than perfect. Right. I, you know, I really think that if there's something that someone wants to do that you can do it on a small scale and don't try to overcomplicate it. I mean, or, you know, MVP, like any kind of startup analogy, just to have what is the minimal amount that you need to do to get something up there. I've done a lot of really large scale events of bringing people in person. I was living in New Orleans after the oil spill and I was feeling so like, what, can we, what can I do? Cause I had lived in other cities and people in LA or Boston, other places I lived, didn't understand everything that was happening in New Orleans. And I had this idea of a concert series where, you know, different venues could have fundraisers and be donating money to, you know, the Gulf coast region. And I just like kicked around an idea Um, I put it on paper. I think that's great advice or type it out, you know, whatever someone's equivalent is, but get the ideas out of your head and get them down somewhere that you can reflect on them. And then I just started emailing people for feedback. What do you think? Do you think this is a good idea? Um, so I guess another piece of advice would be get other people excited about what you're doing It's like once you say it out loud, something you want to do and you've told somebody, you're not on the hook, but you have someone who's like, oh, I loved that. Whatever happened to that idea that you were talking about? It it exists. and I ended up doing a multi-city concert series that went, you know, got coverage everywhere from like CNN and online media and print media and broadcast. I mean, it was a huge undertaking. It turned into this massive project, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for the Gulf Coast, and it was incredible. And we had simultaneous concerts in forty-five different cities on the same night, um, all you know live streamed. In it was it was amazing. Yes, but was what great. I'm saying is, it started with this idea of something horrible has happened in my community. You know, this gigantic oil spill and I just can't sit idly by without trying to do something. And frankly, it could have been a bluegrass band jamming out in a dive bar in the seventh ward in New Orleans. And I think I would have felt like it was a success. Mm -hmm. You know, it turned into something so much bigger because I put it on paper. I got people excited. I created momentum, but it could have been the smallest thing. And I think if we raised $50, I would have felt like I I succeeded.
0: Totally. And to continue like the startup metaphor with MVP, it's like, people that you tell your idea to early, like are there, they're like the alpha testers and they want, people want you to succeed. They want to give you feedback and then they become a part of your idea. Um, and and it, it gets momentum.
1: I also think there's, there's yeah. And there's, you know, there's really, there's really good. Um, I think it's a really good idea to keep in mind your ratio of what you're consuming versus what you're creating. What do you mean? You know, we, there's, well, I mean, we consume a lot, you know, people, there's TV and we're reading and we're going to events or meeting with people. That's all consuming. Like, what are you creating? Like, right. You know, whatever your creative outlet is, it can be putting together an event, it can be writing, it can be creating a blog or a vlog or a podcast or a writing a book or starting a company or building a family. But like how, you know, how much time are you spending creating versus consuming?
0: Right. And not just broadcasting which a lot of people and not just broadcast just send out stuff and it's like an RSS feed of whatever they're doing. But it's like, a, yeah. h- how much time do you put into the newsletter a week?
1: A good, a good couple of hours. Yeah. Not, do- not dozens. It's, you know, it's less than a podcast because I'm not having to slice audio and things like that that you have to do. But, um, I mean, I'm thinking about it all week. Like in terms of what I want to be writing about, I'm jotting down notes of an ideas for a theme, you know, that kind of stuff. And then actually sitting and writing it out and then letting it sit for a couple hours or a night, sometimes having somebody else read it, but not so much for the newsletter. If I have published content somewhere else, I I tend to ask people or, you know, a medium post, I might have somebody read it, but The newsletter is not as much, but yeah. And then I go back and edit it and then I send it out and then I really obsess over the stats, Mm -hmm. like who's opened it, who's unsubscribed, (laughs) who's, uh, you know, what's this click through rate? Like that's one of, um, you know, I, I love the data. I love the, the information, the information piece of it. Um, and one of the things that I, I think having been in the online space working in digital for the last, you know, since now, I mean, on and off since 2005, but, um, is that I've ridden a few roller coasters. I've been on a few waves, you know, and a couple years ago I was doing a lot of public speaking around social media for social good. Um, and it was amazing. I got to go to a lot of really cool places, um, conferences, meet really great people. And then the wave sort of quiets down. And I think I missed The buzz, you know, I missed the the constant go, go, go. And that was another recalibration where I was like, ah, do you know, do I want to be broadcasting or do I want to be authentically creating something? And if I'm authentically creating something, it might turn into all these other opportunities, but it might not. And that's okay too. And I, you know, and I do think that our culture and our society puts a little bit of pressure on people feeling like everyone is famous in their own mind or famous in their circle or has to be doing all of these things to get recognized and being put on lists. Don't even get me started.
0: In the end, like, I think I don't want to take any more time since we've uh, been on for an hour Um, and uh, you're busy. So like what's generally speaking, I think people want to give more. They don't have time. They don't have they, they don't make time for it, and like something like Kiva, where you were you know working with a community around that, like how can people galvanize their base for good? Like if someone has a Kickstarter to make a video game that's galvanizing your base, but it's more of a, a product? Like what, what, are there any platforms for galvanizing a base like Kiva that you believe in, or in general, how like if you have a following of regular email newsletter readers, and you want to galvanize like a thousand people? Like, what do you suggest for like online donations, or or or? Does this question make sense?
1: It it does. I might answer. Well,
0: or what I'm advice? Do you, answer what, do you, question. what advice do you have for people that are trying to galvanize their base to do something good, or even their friend, even their so friend group of five?
1: Exactly. So I think, I mean, I think the number, the number one thing that a lot of people in giving philanthropy, um, nonprofit development circles are seeing is that a lot of people are giving to causes they believe in, but a lot more people more than ever before are giving to causes their friends believe in. So it used to be that you had a couple of places that you donated because you're, you're grandparents did or for you know, an older woman like her husband did. And that was it. They didn't really go outside that circle. Today, I have a friend whose mom has Crohn's and colitis. I'm not personally connected to that cause, but every year when he does a fundraiser for his mom, I donate. I have a friend that has multiple people in my life that have had breast cancer, but no one directly in my family. But when they do a fundraiser, I'm going to give to them. So the number one thing I would say is if there's something that you are passionate about, you know, ask people, don't, don't feel like, Oh, I care about it. I don't know if everybody else does. Like we all want to support each other. So many of us are friends or our family, right? Especially now that people move around and aren't always in their hometown anymore. Um, we care about what our friends care about. And if you write something personal, it can be an email, You know, it doesn't even have to be on social media. It can be, I remember when I was in Kiva, there was another girl who was a fellow who was a school teacher and she was taking a break and um, she wasn't really big on using online stuff. And she wrote handwritten letters to people to help her fundraise. And she got a great rate of return. Um, So I guess I'm just saying, you know, if there's something you believe in and you want to do fundraiser around it, just do it and find a, you know, find a way to make the story personal, tell your personal story more than just the stats or just the scary, you know, the scary numbers around it. In terms of specifically raising for a cause or a platform, there's a lot of different places, um, You know, Kickstarter is more for the creative community. Uh, So you can't do a straight fundraising campaign on Kickstarter, but you could have a social impact piece or, you know, someone has a product or something they want to do where it's like a one for one. Those types of things exist on Kickstarter for nonprofits um, or other kind of fundraisers. You know, people can do that on Indiegogo. You can do it on GoFundMe. You can do it on Razoo. You can do it on crowd rise. I mean, there's no shortage of, of places, um, you know, but I think the most Im- important one is if there's something that you want to do and get involved with, just do it. And if your first year you raise $200 or t- great, you know what I mean? It's, it's not about the amount. It's about you putting your foot forward and your stake in the ground and saying, I care about this.
0: Yep, totally. I raised $100 on Movember from one person. <laughs> I thought I would get all these people <laughs> donating. I like put photos everywhere online that I have an uploader and I grew this gnarly mustache that no one really supported, but it's better than nothing. And next year hopefully it will be better. <laughs>
1: um,
0: okay. That's a great note to, to end on. Thank you. Um, I appreciate, Absolutely. appreciate you you chatting. and uh, so, <laughs> so, so thank you for coming on.